Father, as we have already been singing this morning, the glory that is due your name. Oh, I pray that you would open our eyes as we open your word, that you would open our eyes to a greater glimpse, a greater insight into your glory and majesty. Oh, Father, this grace that we have been singing about, let it become a reality in each of our lives this morning. You know where we need it. And I pray through the power and presence of Holy, the Holy Spirit, you would bring it into every life this morning. So as we open your word, I pray that you would give us the ability to, to understand what you're wanting to show us. Not, not that we would just fill our heads with greater knowledge, but Lord, that, that our hearts would be stirred into deeper and more passionate worship for you because of the richness of your grace. And so as we come, we, we make our prayer, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come speak. Move in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Over the past couple of weeks, as we've continued to journey through this incredible book in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, um, one of the themes that, that you've noticed, that you probably will have noted, is something that I've repeated over and over again, and I've already spoken to it a bit already, it's the grace of God. The grace of God. Friends, that is what's got to be central to our lives, to our walk with the Jesus. Um, the reality is from the, the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, one of the central themes of Scripture is the grace of God. In the past two weeks, the, 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 the verse that we have looked at uh, over and over is found in Exodus 19, but it's also found in Exodus 20, the setup, the, kind of the the beginning of the Ten Commandments, where we read this about God's grace. God said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right there, we see a picture of God's redeeming, restoring, rescuing grace for people who didn't deserve it, didn't do anything to earn it, but yet it's there because of who he is. Let me kind of give a definition that I've spoken the past two Sundays as well as about what grace is because, friends, that's got to be front and center of our lives. So here's what I said grace is. God's grace is his undeserved love, undeserved rescue, undeserved relationship, undeserved forgiveness. And this morning, we're going to look at the undeserved presence of God with us, his people. What we find in Exodus 25 is, is God is coming to make his dwelling among the people. Now, let me set the scene here. They, the Israelites have been rescued out of Egypt, and they're now at the base of Mount Sinai where God has been meeting with Moses. The Ten Commandments have been given, and just to kind of set the, the, the scene here, there are over a million Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. And, and obviously, they're not living in homes that were there for them. They were living in tents, and they would be living in tents on the journey of these 40 years wandering in the wilderness but what's so powerful we find here in Exodus 25 is that God was coming to pitch his tent with them. I want you to think about that picture of grace. God was coming to dwell with his people. Look at verse 8. We see it. And let them make a sanctuary or a tabernacle. Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. One of the things that we see about God here in this grace is God is not a distant God. He is not a God who's removed or uninvolved in our lives. 
what I want you to see this morning, just this first thing, and I think maybe some of you need to really hear this. God came to dwell among us. God came to make his dwelling among us. So we know what that means. Wherever you are in this journey, whatever is before you, whatever those things that, that you look at are, are overwhelming, I want you to know that God has come to dwell with you. God has come to dwell with us, and the fact that he's come to dwell with us means he knows exactly what's before us. He knows exactly how to lead us in those next steps. And so this is an incredibly good word of God's grace to the Israelites that God has coming to pitch his tent with them. And so when God says, I'm coming to dwell with you, he's also asked the Israelites to give materials for the building of the tabernacle and all the different pieces of furniture that would go in it. And that's what we're actually going to look at this morning. This morning, we're going to see how God's grace so stirs in our hearts that it makes us a people of generosity. How God's grace so stirs in our hearts that it makes us a people of generosity. The first thing we're going to see is we're going to take a look at our hearts. We're going to kind of peel back the skin, if you will, and look at what's typically inside our hearts And then we're going to see how God's grace comes and transforms them. Well, as we look at this passage, I don't know if this uh, resonated or if it kind of a buzzer went off for you when it was read just a moment ago, but look at verse verse 3. So God has asked them to make a contribution, and this is what we read. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twilled linen goats here, tanned ram skins, goat skins, and so forth, and oil for lamps, and then talks about precious stones. One of the things that we need to think about is this. These Israelites were people who were in slavery. When you're in slavery, you don't have any possessions but the clothes on your back. I don't know if you wondered, but how in the world did they have gold that they could give? How did they have these precious gemstones? How did they have this oil and all these other things? You know where it came from? Maybe some of you remember back at the beginning of Exodus, right before the Passover, right before God passed over the Israelites uh, and spared their lives, God told Moses to tell the Israelites, go to the Egyptians, tell the people to go to the Egyptians and ask for gold and silver and clothing and all these things. And it says, uh, I think it's back in Genesis 12 or Exodus 12, that the Egyptians freely gave. (laughs) They freely gave of their possessions. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about that, here these people were with nothing, but when God came, they had everything. I want you to just stop for a moment and think about the the stunning picture of the gospel that that is for you and me. We have nothing, but when God comes among us and reveals our Savior Jesus, we all of a sudden find that in Him, we have everything. Friends, that's God's grace. That's what he's given to you and me. And and there's a key principle that I want to note before we move on, and it's this. The Israelites didn't come up with those things on their own. They didn't do something to earn all those things. God gave them those things, the gold and the silver and, and all of those items. God gave them to them. And it's something that you and I need to realize when we think about our possessions and our money that everything we have is a gift from God. But not only is it a gift from God, we need to begin to view it that it is God's. 
that he's allowed us, given to us to steward while we're here. And I don't know about you, but that helps me reframe how I think about the money that I have or the possessions that I have. It puts it in a different light, recognizing that it's all a gift from God. And then that puts me in a position to go, how am I going to steward this, God, for your glory, building your kingdom instead of my own? Now, I don't know what the Israelites were thinking when Moses said, you know, to the people, give gold, silver, all of this, give a portion of all that you have. Honestly, I probably would have thought, okay, if I give some of that, how much am I going to have left? (laughs) Is there going to be enough left? We have to understand that in this time, the Israelites were just getting to know who God was. They'd seen that he's a rescuing God. They saw he was a protector that led them into the, over the, through the Red Sea. And now they had the opportunity to begin to see God as their provider. And that's who our God is. That's a gift of his grace that he provides. He knows our every need, even when we don't know those things that we need ahead. And that enables us to hold loosely the things that we have, doesn't it? So let me, let's look back. Let's look at Exodus 25, verses 1 and 2, see what we find. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. For every man whose heart moves him shall receive the, com- the contribution for me. Now, that's a key statement that God said. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. One of the things that we find throughout the scriptures is this, that the heart is central. The heart is central to everything about our lives. In fact, the heart is mentioned some 750 times in the scriptures. Now that right there ought to go, okay, alarm's going. I ought to put my antenna up and clue in. There's something important about my heart that I need to attune to or tune into. You see, I think when I liken this to, let let me put it this way. When you and I think about our heart, you and I respond to the things around us, not because of what's happening around us, but what's inside our hearts. You see that? See, here's the guiding principle. Whatever's in our heart drives our lives. It drives our behavior. Example is this. When I'm driving on the freeway, or you, and somebody comes in and cuts you off, uh, and you find yourself saying a few choice words, uh, maybe some hand gestures, and there's anger coming out, right? Certainly some of you all have been in that place. Yeah, thank you. It's easy to say, well, if that person hadn't cut me off, I wouldn't have said this or done that, right? They made me do it. How often do we say that? Well, when we look at a a biblical understanding of our heart, um, they didn't make me do that. They were the catalyst that exposed what was already in my heart. There was already anger in my heart. There was already something that they just caused it to come out, see? So that's a picture of that principle that... um, What's in our hearts drives our behavior. So let me pull this in and liken it to this whole topic of possessions and the money that we have. So one of the things that we need to recognize about our hearts, and this is the the brokenness, fallen nature of our heart, is that the inclination of our hearts is to say this about our money and possessions. It's all mine. It's all mine. Now, you may not say those words, but I'll gather you've thought them. And when we think that and when we say that, all of a sudden we find that we hold tightly to what we have as opposed to loosely. We've we've missed the reality that all we have, it's not mine, 
like a little kid will say when you try to take their toy car away, mine. No, it's God's. And that's a different framing. You see, when we respond, even in our hearts or our thoughts, that it's mine and we hold tightly to it, what we're really saying is this. We're saying that we're putting our trust and our money and our resources instead of God. That's what's really going on in our hearts. You know, the culture around us tells us that, that it's money and our possessions that, that bring the happiness into our lives. <laughs> if I just had this, then I would be happier or I would have greater security or a stronger sense of identity if I had more and more of this or greater happiness. But you see, the problem is money was never intended to give us those things. Our possessions were never intended to do those, to bring our happiness or give us identity. What we find is when we, when we hold on tightly like that, instead of going into freedom, we find like we're just like the Israelites. We've just gone back to slavery because we've trusted in something that cannot save. It will not always be there. And then what are we left with? You see, the issue is this. The, the, the problem is not the money or the possessions. Those things are not bad. The problem is what we make of them in our heart. You see that? It's the place that we give them in our heart. And I think as I was, as I was writing this the other day, I was thinking that money is probably one of the most counterfeit gods that there is. It's counterfeit because it doesn't, it doesn't give what our hearts really long for, what we really need. It cannot save us. So if we, as we do that diagnostic and take a look at our hearts, what's the remedy, right? We, we, we've seen the ugliness of our hearts. What's the remedy? What leads us out of a life like that? And it's this. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that leads our hearts into a different way, in a sense, of beating, leads us in a different way of thinking. Because think about this. As grace changes our hearts, we are reminded that we've been rescued, that we have been set free, that God has come to dwell among us. And that what comes out of our hearts is not, it's mine, i got to hold on to it. But when grace pierces our hearts, I mean really pierces our hearts, we become open-handed people, generous people, because we realize that God has given us more than we could ever imagine. And the joy of life is living like this. This, I believe, is, is a taste of what the Israelites were beginning to learn about God. They'd seen him set them free, rescue them. Now he's dwelling among them. And what's so interesting, if you read later on in the book of Exodus, there's a passage that says the Israelites gave above and beyond what was needed for the tabernacle. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because they began to understand the God of grace, and their lives were beginning to be formed around his. Friends, one of the things that we've got to do as we look at this ancient text in the Old Testament in Exodus as we see in this story and everything that's led up to it, it's a foreshadowing of a much greater display of grace, isn't it? It's a foreshadowing of a far greater rescue, a far greater presence of God. And we know the story that God came among us truly in the person of Jesus, the one who was going to come to rescue us from our sins and all the things that, that, that enslave us to this world. He came to rescue us. He did it by being with us 
and then going to the cross for us. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's verse 9. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he, and he paints this beautiful picture of the grace of Jesus. So I want you to hear this. Here's what he wrote. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want to, I want to read that again. <laughs> Because we need God's grace to not just go here or to go like that, just kind of in one ear and out the other. We need it to pierce our hearts. Did you, did you hear what Paul wrote about the grace of Jesus? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. When I think about it, he did what he did. Listen, this is the Son of God who left this glorious presence of the Trinity in heaven. And he came into this beautiful yet broken and sin-cursed world. And he came as a king, yes, because he's the king of kings. But he came as a very different king than the people thought. Jesus didn't come as this king with, with, with a crown of gold and jewels and palaces all over the, the country. No, he came and entered this world as he took on flesh. He took on a life of poverty. He took on a life of a servant. So that this servant, in taking on a life of poverty, would go to the cross for you and for me to make us the wealthiest people around. You see the beauty of the gospel is that he gave his life away. He left all the riches in a sense that he had so that we could become rich beyond our wildest imagination. It's just like the Israelites, isn't it? He rescued them from slavery and gave them more than they could have ever imagined. <laughs> How much more has he done that for you, for me? Friends, that's the grace of God. Let me paint a picture of what this is like. It's like a waterfall. Think about a waterfall flowing into your life. And as this waterfall of grace flows into your life, what does it do? Does it sit there and make you bigger and bigger? Uh-uh. It ought to flow straight into our lives so that it flows out of our lives. You see, grace does something to us, and grace does something through us. That's the gospel. It does something to us and through us. Let me give you a, a picture of, of, of Paul again in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8. He's, he's, having this, he's writing this letter and addressing an issue that encouraging the Corinthians in their giving. And he gives them an illustration that the churches of Macedonia, and these were impoverished people, they gave to the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem when they were going through a very, very difficult time. Here's what Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2 through 4. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, and as I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you get a picture of what's going on? That They gave according to their means, but then he said they gave beyond their means, begging us to allow us to take part in caring for them, these people they'd never met. Now, I read that, and I don't know what, about you, but I think, how could that happen? <laughs> I 
those people who were just getting by, right? And they were giving, but they decided to give to this church, these people they'd never met, way above what they thought they might give, and they loved doing it. There was a joy in that. Now, what causes that to happen in a life? Can you fill in the answer? You know what I'm going to say, the word I'm going to say? <laughs> it's grace. They were so moved by the grace of God. They knew what they had. They knew that what they had wasn't theirs to just hold on to. But when there was a need, they said, here. And they lived lives of radical generosity. As I said a moment ago, the gospel of grace doesn't just do something to us. It does something through us. And I want to end by sharing something with you. I want to I want to end how, I want to share how we ended the year financially in 2020. But before I say that, I want to name, and we all know it, it's probably one of the most difficult years uh, many of us here have had. Had no idea there was a pandemic that was going to come. Many lost their jobs. Many were hit financially in various ways. People hit physically, all kinds of difficulties in this past year. But I want to name something here. There is a grace of God on this congregation. <laughs> I got to step back and watch so many of you meet tangible needs of those who had very tangible uh, requests, things going on in their lives. Bringing food, helping with housework, repainting houses. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I have seen this body in this last year step into a, a work of the Lord that just, in a sense, brings me to tears. And why, what caused you all to do that? God's grace. God's grace flowing in you. And through it, God's grace flowing through you. So I want to just say thank you. I cannot tell you what a blessing it is to be a part of a body of believers who are receiving this grace of God and then living it out in the body and in the community. So I name that, but let me tell you where we ended our budget. Our budget for... 2020 was $1.84 million, $1,840,000. Through your generosity, the Lord brought in over $2,135,000. Pray, yeah. Friends, that is the generosity of this body. And I wanted to name that today because it is something worth celebrating for us. It is something that we get on our knees and say, God, thank you that in the midst of one of the most difficult, challenging years that we've experienced, through your generosity, you've shown us how you provide in every way. And so to God be the glory, but I want to thank you all for your incredible generosity to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through this church, through St. Andrews. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless his holy name. Glorious Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we bless you. We bless you for the abundance of grace that you have shown us. We bless you for the life-giving spirit you've given us to know you, to worship you, to live not only for ourselves but for others. Thank you for your faithful provision. Thank you that even in the difficulty, you are a God who is faithful. And for that, we bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.